Welcome to my SoCast Life, the show where we reread our real life diaries while rewatching or having just finished rewatching that diary of our souls, my so called life. My name is Matt Brown, and this is my happening, and I'm freaking out. Uh, I'm Katerina, and I'm totally super calm. <laughs> and our special guest star is. Sarai Roberts, and I wrote In My Humble Opinion which is a fantastic book that we've actually been quoting and referencing all season on our show uh, about my so-called life. And it actually leads me to my first question, which is, okay, so my so-called life was set in the fictional city of Pittsburgh and filmed, no, Pittsburgh is real, uh, but it was filmed in Los Angeles, California in 1993, 1994. Its 20-year it's anniversary was two years ago. There is no my so-called life related thing happening this year. And to my knowledge, there is no my so-called life cast member or crew member from Toronto. Why did completely independently a podcast and a book about my so-called life happen in Toronto at exactly the same time? That's a really good question. Right? I have, now, I have a theory. That. But my theory doesn't make a lot. So my theory is that, is that very much like Freddy Krueger, Jordan Catalano is actually like an evil spirit who, if he doesn't manifest in the lives of real people, he loses his power. So he's been messing with Toronto. He probably got lost. Like he got on, it's Jordan, right? Like he probably just got on the wrong bus, showed up in Toronto, and here we are. But I don't know. Like, so let, why did you write this book and why did you write it now? Let's start with that, Soraya. Um... Well, actually, I wrote, uh, it sort of came out of an article I wrote for a Bitch magazine, which did actually happen on an anniversary. That's what I wrote that for. And then um, I pitched something to ECW for the Pop Classic series because they're sort of an open, you know, invitation to, to write for it. Um, so I pitched, actually, something else. And then uh, Jen, I think it was, the editor, um, suggested that I do my so-called life because she had read my bitch piece and she thought it would be good for a book. So um, that's how that happened. And, you know, with the timing of pitching and then writing and it just didn't happen that it was on an anniversary. But, you know, the other funny thing about what you said is the only other book about my so-called life is called Dear Angela. And it's a book of essays by Michelle Byers and she's Canadian. What? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Canada. Heavy. <laughs> We're going to have to do a season two and get in touch with her. I, <laughs> it feels a little weird to do a season two for a show that only ever had a season one, but yeah, anything's but if we possible. Got, like, really deep into some conspiracy theories, I think it could work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess that, that raises sort of the larger question. Uh, I kind of know Kat and Mai's answer, but maybe we can give them again because we haven't talked about it since the first episode of our show. But... How did my so-called life kind of enter your life uh, when, like, did you watch it when you were growing up? Like, what, like, or did you come to it after it aired? W how deep was the connection? How, like, that kind of thing. Um, I don't, you know what, I don't, I was in high school. I was the same age as Angela, pretty much, when um, the show was airing. So it was 94, August 94. I was in Calgary. I was in high school. I don't know. I, I must have seen ads or something on TV, and then I just watched it, and it was the most um, 
authentic character, I guess, um, of a teenage girl, and the and so much more um, what I recognized in my own life um, than you know Beverly Hills 90210 or anything like that, which I had seen before. And um, my mother, who's in the audience, will attest to this, but I was um, pretty obsessed with it and, and talked about it all the time. She got sick of it. And that's why the dedication, because <laughs> my mom wanted me to shut up about it all the time. But um, yeah, I think it was just so similar to so many of our lives that it, you know, it's that it was that attachment to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm more weirded out by you liking it. <laughs> I got that. I've gotten that from day one. Like I, I watched my so-called life, the pilot, like the night it aired, and I went to the first day of grade 13, like a few days later, and was talking about the show, and everyone was like. But you're a dude. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, for whatever reason, I also felt like Angela spoke with my internal voice. Like the, and as, as we have discovered doing the uh, podcast, maybe there's a little Brian in there too, but like that sort of super angsty, over-analytical, going in circles, everything so much bigger and such a bigger deal than it actually is in real life that w was very true to me and it like you said in a way that i was not seeing on tv uh cat yeah. g same here i mean i know it's hard to believe that all of us were teenagers 20 years ago because we look so fresh and young yep. absolutely but i too was in high school when this show aired i think i was in grade 12 or just going into grade 12 um so like a couple years older than angela would have been in the show and uh, I missed the pilot. I didn't see it when it aired. But then uh, this friend of mine, uh, Dave, <laughs> in, the, in the hallway one day, was like, hey, hey, Kat, you look like that girl from that show. And I was like, what show? <laughs> and he was like, my so-called life. And so I watched it. And I did look like Angela. I had like a very similar haircut. And I had like the same outfits and was similarly angst-ridden and uh, like just ridiculous, um, and I and watching the show for the first time. I don't know when. I, I like I plugged into it very early on. I, I remember seeing most of the episodes when they aired, but um, I just remember watching it and thinking, I am literally this person, and everyone I know has like a corresponding person on the show that they a hundred percent are, and this is something I've never seen on television before, because no one on television is like real people ever they're always these ridiculous sort of idealized versions of, you know, teenagers or, or adults or whatever. Uh, and this show finally was like telling it like it really was. <laughs> and yeah. that seemed so shocking and revolutionary and amazing. And like I made my parents watch the show because I was like, oh, you don't understand me, but maybe <laughs> you'll understand this. Like, I don't know what I thought I would accomplish, but I was really like bowled over by how real the show felt um, compared to other television, like all other television that I had ever seen before. Yeah, it's weird, you know, so I've rewatched the show probably a total of five times since it aired, and every time I obviously get a little bit more out of it, one of the things that I always come back to is that when it was on the air when I was a teenager, I had the same reaction, which is that this is so real, like it's so representative of how I actually think and how I actually feel, and going back to it, especially this time, I'm really aware of how 
artful it also is and therefore not real, right? Like there is, you know, one of the things I objected to a lot when I was watching it, when it aired originally, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, where there were aspects of the plot that I was like, that would never happen. Like, I mean, in real life, Angela would never even have talked to Jordan, let alone gotten to know him, yeah, made ne- him never. his her boyfriend, broken up with him, and then the show ends with him trying to get back together with her because he's kind of like starting to wake up to the fact that she's actually like that's that is totally ridiculous. But watching it as a show, like as a piece of storytelling, you're like, oh, this is wonderful. Like I understand why they had to do this and how that works and what they're trying to do yeah, with it. Yeah, and it's even like more wonderful for Jordan's story arc than Angela's. Like the fact that he ends up wanting her when she's, you know, done with him or whatever is far more interesting when you look at it in terms of how much he grows as a character over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you. That would never happen <laughs> in real life. That's insane. But for the show, it's wonderful and it works, I think, for for him even more than for her like it's kind of satisfying for her like she in a very roundabout way gets what she wanted but he's like a, he has like a more interesting growth arc i think but i think also um the place it started at um the show when you talk to Winnie Holtzman it sort of started from an artificial place because she started with tropes that she saw on television and she wanted to destroy them and so she it sort of came from these two-dimensional or these, you know, these faux characters, and then she added these realistic qualities to them. So I think there's like a melding of fake and real. Yeah, I mean, it's still TV. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It's not actually people that we used to be friends with in the 90s. Yeah. So <laughs> Just you know. seems like it. It was weird. Like, so we, you know, at Soraya, we had not actually met in real life until a couple days ago. She had the very smart idea that we should not meet on stage right now. Um, but one of the things that I noticed while we were talking was that I was talking about the characters as though not only that they were real, but that they had gone on and had lives after the events that we saw covered in the show. Like I was like speculating about what Angela's high school uh, senior year was like and stuff like that. It's like, it's really weird that they made that level Like what of, was her major yeah. in college? <laughs> in college, I wonder yeah. that all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, she thinks that she would have been a writer because that's that's kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, it's basically Winnie Holtzman. Sure. That's who that is. And but I thought you never wanted to talk. About well, that's the thing. So I have a really hands-off relationship with. Like I know that there are uh, there's information out there about what would have happened in the second season and so forth. I steer clear of that. What I am an enormous fan of is catching up with these actors in other roles later and just pretending that's them. So Angela, as I think for a lot of us, Angela became an operative with the CIA, developed deep OCD, and is, you know, winning the war on terror. Oh yeah, but, 100%. Yeah. That Brian, is Angela uh, that's as Angela, an adult. For sure. But Brian went to Felicity's university and maybe date-raped Felicity's best friend after a night of too much drinking, because... Again, completely Totally Brian. Jordan became a neo-Nazi, joined the Fight Club, totally went all in with Tyler Durden, got the hell beat out of his face by Edward Norton, and then became the Joker. Yeah. Right? It all makes sense. How could that not be... And, and, and Rayanne became the, the Countess of Devon. <laughs> Sorry, Countess. 
What? Yes. I had to look it up on Wikipedia today. Yeah, she's actually the Countess. That's real life. That's not a TV show. AJ Langer is now British royalty. She married in, but good for her. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Rayanne did okay after all that. And I almost spoke to her, but then her father-in-law died. Oh. Oh. So, yeah, it was really sad, but also I was like, Damn, yeah. That would have been really cool. Uh, in terms of the realism question, I just have a CanCon question. I never watched Degrassi as a kid. Did you guys? Yeah. So, like, did you have the Degrassi comparison? We see that a lot with relation to this show. It's, it's you know, the American Degrassi, or it's trying to be real in the way Degrassi is. I finally caught up with Degrassi as an adult, and I was like, this is not my so-called life. They, no. <laughs> Um, I, no, the, the, the place that they differ is that Degrassi always kind of had this, um, it had this movie of the week kind of quality, not, it wasn't so bad, but it would have these sort of lessons yes. that I think were, so it was quite educational in that way. Um, and I think my so-called life just wasn't, that wasn't part of, the, the, my so-called life was, re, it was supposed to be real people and their lives, whereas Degrassi was like, these are people, but there's, we want to teach you something too. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I don't know off the top of my head what the years were for Degrassi, like what years it actually aired. I mean, is it still going on? I mean, it is yeah, it's currently, like the new generation or whatever, or whatever. Is, is going on, but like the original show, like the I don't, 80s. Like it the 80s. was, I think I didn't watch it because I wasn't in Canada. My family moved here in 88. Um, I wasn't born here. Um, I think if it was on the air at the time, it was probably toward the end of the original show, I think. Um, so I just missed it. Like I didn't, I just was not here during the heyday of Degrassi. So I watched it later for sure. But when I was a teenager, um, I was only vaguely aware of it as like a thing that maybe happened. Even though I think some of the cast members of the original Degrassi went to my high school. Oh. Um, but I didn't know that until years later because I didn't know what Degrassi Actually, was. Actually, that happened to a lot of us here in Toronto. <laughs> like everyone <laughs> in Toronto went very to high normal. school with yeah. you know, a cast member from Degrassi. Uh, one, one time when I was in university, I saw a Snake from the Degrassi at a bar, and he looked really, really grumpy. Everyone saw Snake. And, yeah, everyone and I was has like, seen Snake. Oh, why are you having a bad night, Snake? And Snake is know. probably in the lobby, like right now. Grumpy. Um, you're right that like so Degrassi was definitely a message show. My so-called life does message episodes like constantly. I just. Totally turned into Angela. Um, you know, like, the, not maybe with as much moralizing, but they do the gun episode, they do the, the beauty episode, and the one that's probably the most very special episode is the Christmas episode, which you saw a clip of there where there is an actual angel yeah. who froze to death. The episode um, that veers Because homelessness is bad, especially for teenagers. <laughs> it's and so, it is. I'm not disputing that it's fact. It's so bad that you yeah. have to go into magical realism yeah. to explain how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, my so-called life never felt like it had those, right. like, it, yes, it had episodes that were trying to make a point about 
real issues or whatever, but other than maybe the Angel Christmas episode, it never felt like it was trying to teach you a lesson. It didn't feel like an after-school special. I think that made it... Although that one actually had like a hotline number at the end, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a, yeah totally. Like yeah, if you know someone number. who's on the street, call this number. Like, yeah. and in the episode, somebody does that. They sick the police on a house full of street kids, and that is clearly demonstrated to be a very bad thing. But then at the end, they're like, but if you want to do that, here's the number. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the series as a whole. One of the things I've, you know, so when the show was on the air, I was obviously very into it, and I was very upset when it was canceled, and I wrote a letter to the president of ABC, as did many other people. Um, didn't, he didn't listen. Um, but, you know, over the years, I've kind of accepted the fact that even though it does end on what you could even call a cliffhanger, I'm actually very okay with there just being one season of my so-called life. So I guess the question is, canceled too soon or canceled just in time? Because it never had the opportunity to suck, right? Like, never did True. a bad episode. They just did a great first season. Yeah, it was all hits, no misses. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, there are very, very few shows that I can think of, like in the history of shows that don't get worse as they go on. Yeah. Like the fourth season of The Wire is I think the best season and like Breaking Bad was pretty great at the end. And like there's other shows, obviously, I, you know, a half dozen shows I could name that, that either maintain their quality or get better or whatever. But like 95% of shows get worse. They have an amazing first season, and then they yeah. run out of brilliant ideas, and they have to keep the plot going, and they have to keep the characters interesting, and stupid stuff starts to happen, and it's just not as good. So I would have loved a second season of My So-Called Life at the time, and even now. I feel like I, that would be wonderful if there were more episodes, but I'm really glad that it never had a chance to get lame and that there mm -hmm. wasn't stuff on the show that I rolled my eyes at or that I thought was, you know, just like... It never jumped the shark. Yeah. I, I watched the Halloween episode with Nikki Driscoll, who's standing in for James Dean, and I'm like, that's the show, right? It, he died too young. He, whatever he was, he fell from the roof of the gym. Splat. But he never got the chance to turn into a fat old man, which is kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah. Like Tony Poole. I, that's like Patty's crush from high school who turned into a fat old man. Yeah, Tony Poole is obviously a fat old man. We all agree, yeah, right? Yeah. Patty's old boyfriend, he didn't yeah. want to come and meet her because he <laughs> was a fat, old man. fat, bald, <laughs> and like sad, and he knew that she was still beautiful. Yeah, exactly. And his wife was jealous also, obviously. Obviously. Anyway. <laughs> so let's talk about our favorite episodes in Soraya. I will start with you. What is your favorite episode of The 19? Uh, my favorite episode is... Um, Oh my God, I can't remember. Why Jordan Can't Read, I think is what it's called. That is what it's called. <laughs> um, and the reason, for a really long time I didn't have a favorite episode because it tended to be scenes that I would remember, sort of like the scene where she dances um, after she kisses Jordan um, when she dances outside the car is a scene that I really love. And, um, but that's actually in that episode. And I don't know, I just like the way um, you know, it starts out, and she's written a note, or a letter, explaining all her feelings for him, and he doesn't even have to see it, it's just her getting it out. And, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I just, and Red, and just everything in that episode, him playing, I mean, you guys just saw him playing that terrible, terrible song that, um, am I getting feedback? Or There's a bit of feedback, yeah. yeah. I don't know who, who it's coming from, yeah. it's but it's, it's coming from someone. Should I go, well, she, I was told to put the mic really close, so yeah. maybe I should pull it away. Is it because we're louder than you? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> red. Why Jordan can't read. Oh, red. Oh, yeah. So if you haven't read the book, the int- What? Closer? Okay. Um, so I don't know where to put it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think you're good. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you haven't read the book, Winnie Holtzman, when I spoke to her, um, said that she really wanted to go dark with that song, and she wanted Jordan to write about his homelessness and the abuse by his father and stuff, but for some reason she pulled away from doing that, so I think part of really liking that scene, too, is, is sort of having that knowledge at the same time. So, yeah, that's fine. Interesting. How would that have worked, though? Like, how would Angela have misinterpreted the song being about herself if Jordan was singing about her dad beating him up? I hope not. That would have been great. In a way, he is still writing about those things because he's writing about how his car is like his shelter from the storm because obviously his home is not that thing, right? So it's in a much more subtle way, (laughs) sort of the same thing. I also really love that episode, but you go first. No, 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 please. I mean, it's it's very hard for me to land on a, like, I kind of have to take the pilot out of the equation because I basically think the pilot is perfect. Like, the way it's written, the way it's shot, every single thing about it I think is wonderful. If I was going to pick, like, a single episode, it would probably be between Life of Brian and In Dreams because Life of Brian is about Brian, why not? Also, like as I was saying before we were recording, Life of Brian, I think, has two or three of the actual most amazing signature moments on the show, like Ricky's I Don't Fit speech, the thing on the chain link fence, and then, you know, the dancing at the end. I think that, you know, those are iconic moments. But In Dreams is a great show, very very good script, and a good closer to the series, so it's hard to pick. Yeah, I don't know if I can pick a favorite. Because I also think of like specific scenes that I think are really amazing and memorable and really have stuck with me over the years. Um, but like one episode, it's like choosing. And it's like when people are like, what's your favorite book? Like, who the hell has one? That's crazy. Um, what's your favorite so I don't know. Simpsons episode? I don't know. There's <laughs> 700 of them. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, there are definitely moments that I have thought about a billion times in the past 22 years, um, but I don't know that there's one episode necessarily that stands out. I love um, the I love the substitute. That's uh, a really great one. Yeah. Um, it's like the Dead Poet Society episode <laughs> with the substitute teacher who fires everyone up and makes them care about stuff. Um, I, <laughs> I never had a substitute like that. Definitely not a substitute. My, my substitutes were desperately just trying to get out of the building with their hair not on fire. <laughs> we were terrible to substitutes at all of my schools, like legendarily bad. Like apparently the Board of Education was like, something has to change or we have to stop sending these poor bastards in there. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, so maybe to pivot on that, we've all, 
uh, well, you didn't rewatch the show with us to do the podcast because this is, in fact, your first episode, and, and thank you for being here. Um, but rewatching the show, uh, what was your biggest surprise as an adult this year coming back to my so-called life? We'll start with Kat because she can't pick a favorite episode. Oh, my God. Uh, so many surprises. Uh, I guess my overall biggest surprise, which is like a general point that touches on lots of things, is that I was surprised at how much my... Uh, sympathies and my allegiances had shifted from where they were when I was a teenager. The characters that I identified with as a teenager and the characters I felt bad for or wanted to be like or whatever, uh, all of those things completely shifted. Uh, the characters that I really identified with I found like kind of absurd and the characters that I didn't like or pay attention to very much at the time I suddenly found really interesting and wonderful, and I had much more sympathy for the parents because, of course, now I'm their age, even though I don't have teenage children. Um, but Patty and Graham are, like, our age. Like, they're around oh, yeah. 39, 40. It's the worst. So, yeah, it's horrible. That's the worst. I can't think about it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, Angela was the character that I felt, like, was 100% me at the time, and re-watching it, I was like wow, she is immature and she goes on a much shorter journey of learning about herself and becoming and growing and whatever than some of the other characters do. Like other characters learn more, change more, etc. Um, I didn't care much about Sharon at the time. Like I just thought of her as like the annoying old life that Angela wanted to shed like a, like a, you know, Snakeskin? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Very perky snakeskin. And, and snake watching skin. it this time, I'm like, wow, she's amazing, and she's the most mature teenager on that show, and I love her so much. Um, Jordan was like a weird character that I felt very sort of ambiguous about because I didn't have a Jordan in my life that I was in love with in that way, but I kind of understood the feelings in a general sense. And, but I thought that he was just so dumb that I like it was I was so frustrated by Angela's love for him because I was like he's an idiot and why you could do better. Um, but watching it this time, I had so much more sympathy for Jordan and I thought that he actually like learned a lot and changed a lot over the course of the show and became like a much more uh, much more sensitive and deeper person than he started out as. So yeah, things like that. Definitely, my experience of almost every character changed radically uh the only character that i probably feel the same way about is ricky like i just love him and i always Ricky's loved great. him and he's just yeah. perfect and wonderful and i want to hug him and i hope he had a really great life after um grade 10 yeah i you know my opinion of angela darkened so much this time around that i no longer was like you can do better i was like no you two are perfect for each other <laughs> you know what, that's kind of fair make children <laughs> Soraya, any major revelations for you when you were researching the book or, or anything you hadn't noticed the first time you were watching the show? Um, I had a little bit of a similar uh, feeling about Angela as well. Just sort of like, um, you know, everyone, or Rianne talked about what a good friend she was. And I was kind of like, no, she's actually a really terrible friend who um, doesn't really stand by people. But, you know, we all sort of make mistakes like that. But I think more for me... Um, I noticed little things that I didn't notice before. I think I was so focused on um, Angela and Rayanne, because basically I wanted to look like Rayanne, I want to be Angela. <laughs> um, and um, I think I, 
just lost my train of thought again. <laughs> Sorry, it's the light. It's really distracting. Um, but no, I, yeah, I started noticing little things like the way Angela or Claire Danes moved in the show and the way um, the interactions with her sister and uh, just the little sort of um, details in the corners, I think, that I didn't. Um, see before because there was such a focus on the two girls, the main characters, and that was interesting to me. And the parents too, they sort of came out more. Um, and the way they're sort of continuous with the kids, they don't really know. I mean, Patty is more the more mature one, but Graham doesn't really know where he is in life and his wife kind of has to give him the direction towards, you know, chef school or, or whatever. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so. Definitely, we talked on the podcast a lot about Patty and Graham. And if you had told me in 1995 that one day I would do a podcast about this show and we would spend like half of our time talking about Patty and Graham, I, I wouldn't have believed that because I wouldn't have thought that there was that much to say about them. Because yeah. I just didn't, they just weren't, my world when I was right. a teenager, but now I understand so much more about their problems and also they seem like deeper, more interesting characters than I like read them as at the time. Well, it's interesting too, because they weren't initially supposed to have much of a role. They were just supposed to be, you know, kind of like in the Wonder Years where his parents are kind of there, but it's, it's him and all his friends and stuff. Um, and then, because I don't know if you read the book, you'll know this, but um, because Claire Danes was so young, they needed to give more time to other people because she couldn't be on set so often. So, um, yeah, they had to expand the roles of the adults, and that's why they're sort of more textured. Yeah. I guess. That's really interesting. I feel like that made it a better show. Oh, for sure. I've always, I mean, so not always. So, my, the Coles Notes version of my relationship with the show is, you know, when it first aired, I was absolutely like the teenagers at the point. What parents? I don't know. I, I hated Patty, right? Because you're you're kind of programmed to hate Patty in the first ten episodes, and then she has this huge turn in other people's mothers, where you at least begin to see that she's not just being harsh with Angela for no reason, as parents are wont to do when you're a teenager. No, parents are great. All our parents are here. Um, All of our parents are actually here. Yeah. Um, so. So the second time I watched the show, I really responded to Patty and Graham. You know, even though I was still at that point pretty young, I was in my 20s probably the second time I visited the show, but I was really into them, and I guess the surprise for me this time around, possibly because of the horror of actually being their age, I've sort of pivoted, now I see their mistakes too. I've moved off Patty and Graham, and I've kind of, now I'm, like you said, I'm just sort of like, oh, Sharon's perfect and wonderful, and I care about Jordan for the first time. I hated Jordan Catalano. Like, for most of my life, I was like, this guy's awful, he's evil, he's so stupid, why is he here, get rid of him, ugly face, the Joker, what? Um, but now I'm like, yeah, he's actually, he has a surprisingly compelling growth arc in his 19 episodes, and, and I really tuned into that this time around. Yeah, and, I mean, we've talked a lot about, about it on our show, the Graham, like, almost thing. infidelity sort of thing that pops up over the course of the show many times. Like, we both remembered Hallie Lowenthal, who is the woman that he is supposed to start the restaurant with at the, toward the end of the sh run. Like, we both remembered her very negatively. Like, she yes. was this horrible villain who was trying to break up their marriage. And, in, like, re-watching it, I was like, she is a reasonable, nice person. She's yep. not trying to break up their marriage. <laughs> yep. They never even kiss or anything. Like, nothing happens between them. But also, she is not trying to make something happen, Graham is by far the more like 
questionable in terms of their behavior. Like she's just like she's kind of charming and not actually a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like a shock to me rewatching it because I remembered her as this like horrible person who was trying to break them up and, and like trying to have an affair with him. And she's like, that's actually really not the case. And Graham is the one who repeatedly has these dalliances or whatever that maybe don't go anywhere or maybe do, we don't know. Um, but like, he's the one with the problem. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I remembered him so much more sympathetically and I remembered her. Like, why? Like, what, yeah. what was that about? I, I wonder, you know, like when you're a kid, you obviously see your parents in very simplified terms and, you know, think they can do no wrong. And then at some point, probably when you're a teenager, you start thinking they can do everything wrong. And that's just part of the process of sort of figuring yourself out and figuring out your life. I wonder if, you know, now that Kat and I have actually arrived at Patty and Graham age and, and Soraya, bad news, you're coming up on it. Uh, I wonder if it's just sort of like that entire illusion is just gone because I don't, like, I, we've talked about how messed up Patty is. We've certainly talked about how messed up Graham is. They're really messed up. Like, they actually are both after very contradictory things internally that they don't own as characters, which kind of lead them in these strange directions. Uh, you know, like their princess and pirate thing. So let's jump ahead to that question. What is the deal with Patty and Graham's sex life? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, here's the thing. I'm now their age, but I'm not, I don't know anyone in my immediate circle of friends who married their high school sweetheart and is now my age with teenage kids and right. still with that person. Like, that is actually a foreign experience in my life, in the, the people that I know. It's even a foreign experience with, like, I, I just, I can't relate to their life path, I guess, in that way. Mm -hmm. In, like, that immediate sort of obvious way. So I, I can relate to relationship problems that they have in a general sense. I can relate to being that age and wrestling with whatever. But I can't relate to, like, that trajectory. So I have a hard time, like I think, I feel like they have a pretty decent relationship actually, um, that at times they're both sort of incapable of seeing obvious things about what the other person needs from them or from the relationship and so they mess things up because they can't like see what's right in front of them. But they basically seem like they're doing okay. Yeah, I feel like if they both relaxed about the relationship problems a little bit, they'd realize they're not actually any there and everything's sort of okay. Okay, I don't go know ahead. what you guys are watching. Yeah, all right, go for it. Hit me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, just to go back to, I mean, I, I feel bad for saying this because Please. you don't want to talk about, like, the future of the show that she had planned, but she did plan to break them up. I, I am actually <gasps> aware of that fact. Yeah. But I actually wasn't. I've never read the spoilers either, but I don't care. Yeah, but <laughs> like, so that's not, the thing, right? I'm like, not. the text is the text. So as far as I'm concerned, like, we, you know... At the end, we don't know. They don't actually. It, I don't know if you've listened to our last episode, but Kat and I both misremembered that Graham and, and Hallie Lowenthal actually make out. Like, that's how deeply we were convinced you that. You thought they made out. We thought that yeah. they made out. Yeah. And we rewatched the episode and we're like, oh, like, they, don't, no. they don't even know. There's, There's no they, kiss. They yeah. probably did off camera. Or May, maybe they did, right? But my point is, we don't actually know what was going to happen. But yes, theoretically, in season two, she was going to break them up. Yeah. Because drama. Yeah, and I have, the, I have the feeling that the problem, I mean, it, I really liked Graham when I watched the show at first because I think I, I felt sorry for him. 
And now I kind of feel like he, Patty seems to kind of know who she is and what she wants, and she's kind of doing what she wants, and she's pretty alpha. And I think with, with Graham, he's just so lost. And I think when you've got one person who's like a, a strong person, they're kind of guiding the other person around, and it kind of doesn't work past a certain age. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it can. Maybe people can stay in there. Because um, I know people who, who were high school sweethearts. They got married, and then they, they sort of had to age together. And I think Patty and Graham kind of haven't. Like, Patty's kind of aged appropriately, and Graham's sort of still stuck at 15. That grateful, 15? That, like, grateful wow. dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty stuck. <laughs> well... You know. Maybe that's why he gets along with Rayanne so well. I mean, I definitely agree that Patty is the more mature adult. Sure. Too, and I and I'm sure that part of the reason why I had so much more sympathy for Graham when I was a teenager is because he has a little bit of that cool dad vibe. He gets along with Rayanne. He gets like other people, other teens walk into the house and think he's cool because he's friendly and affable and doesn't seem like he wants to get them in trouble or whatever. Or he wants to be their buddy. I mean, he's also cute. He's also totally cute, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. definitely like a cute dad. Is he? Okay. Yeah, he's cute. For sure. Um, I mean, Patty's cute too. It's just that like, that's not a thing. Nobody thinks about their friends' moms that way. Like, that's not a thing. Have you watched any teen comedies in the last <laughs> 40 years? <laughs> but not in real life. No, I don't know about real life, but yeah, okay. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the fact that like ultimately they are supposed to break up is not surprising. But I still, when I watch the show, feel like their relationship is pretty decent and they are like maybe two steps away from wrecking it, but also like one and a half steps from fixing it. And they just don't know how to go in the right direction. Like yeah. they're not far from having a good relationship. It's just that they're sort of like on this precarious line where it could go either way and they just like neither of them seem to be capable of taking the correct steps and and it's because they can't see each other well I mean, accurately I, like they can't see what the other person needs and therefore can't provide what the other person needs whether they're capable of that or not but i also feel like it's a little bit of that what i was saying was the contradictory impulses where it's like yeah patty is absolutely the alpha but she also has fantasies about not being that about being kind of in more traditional gender roles which she almost never gets the opportunity but then sometimes she puts on a magical halloween costume and she's rapunzel and she's happy as a clam and they have amazing sex right next to the front door of the house and leave the bowl of candy outside for the children can you imagine what happened to like the next three or four kids that had to come up to that head? Like it's just it's awful some of the stuff that happens off screen on this show. Um, but you know, like if, if Patty and Graham were slightly better at kind of steering around the curves of when they need each other to take the lead, like when they need, you know, if they were better at negotiating the power dynamic, I feel like they'd be fine. That's, yeah, I may be I naive, agree. but they never actually broke up. <laughs> show ends. Let's still hold on together. to that. <laughs> We're going to hold on to that. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's talk about the lead character of the show, who is Angela Chase, who I apparently had a very dim view of this time around. But in, I mean, it is absolutely her show. In the first episode, she says that high school is a battlefield for your heart. 
I think on a larger level, the show is about basically teenage is a battlefield for your identity. And one of the things you raise in your book that's actually a really good point is that the show is very much literally and also figuratively about her finding her voice and finding that power from a feminist perspective. I got to say, like, you know, aside from the fact that it is a show created by a woman about a teenage girl, the concept of feminism as it applies to my so-called life, obviously, when I was a teenage boy, no idea. had no idea that any of that was stuff was going on. So those were some of the things in, in your book that... It, it certainly brought things out for me that I didn't think about in terms of how Angela uses her voice and so on and so forth. So maybe you want to kind of lead us through a bit of that. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, uh, at the time, that was not something that would have come up to me either because it wasn't something in my life or even at the time people weren't. I mean, now you get celebrities being asked, are you a feminist? And that wasn't really a word that people was mainstream, so to speak. Um, and then, but when I was researching the book and I was looking at sort of, I was very steeped in that. It, there was sort of riot girl and zines and that kind of um, culture was very third wave. Um, it just wasn't so much spoken about in that way. But um, Juliana Hatfield and, 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 you know, like I mentioned, the riot girls and stuff like that, that was all part of the third wave um, was giving teen girls a voice. That was a huge part of it. Um, and the show just happened to come along at that time, because Winnie Holtzman was, would have been second wave. Um, so it was just lucky, or there was something in the air that that sort of, because it was actually um, the two men who created the show who brought it to Winnie Holtzman. So it wasn't even her mm -hmm. that had the initial idea. Um, but I guess there was sort of, you know, Bitch Magazine and Sassy and Bust were all coming along at that time too. And it all sort of fed in and that Angela had this um, voiceover just seemed to fit perfectly into the thesis of my book. Really. Oh, well, that was lucky. Um, they, you do mention in the book as well, which I don't think I'd ever really noticed this before, that the other, okay, leaving the New Year's episode aside where everybody gets a moment of voiceover, the other two characters who get voiceover episodes are Brian and Danielle, who you say kind of mentally are probably the closest to Angela, and everybody else is left out of that, the kind of the further away from her they get. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot in this rewatch was the fact that, you know, I grew up white, middle class, you know, urban, very much like the chases. Probably one of the reasons that I was able to access the show as easily as I was is that it's very much, like, I went home to that house, right? I went home to that viewpoint. Watching the show again, it was a lot, I was a lot more critical of sort of how the show treats Rayanne, how the show treats Ricky, because they are very much of different classes or of different races or of different sexualities, and they don't get voice and they don't get that kind of primacy in the show. Did that, was that something that kind of like irked you or that you, you know, noticed going through? Kat, um, you can also answer this if, you, if you're sorry. so inclined. I mean, yeah, we're doing, we're doing okay? You, you go first. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it does irk you, but I mean, with the help, I mean, initially it irked me when I, when I looked at it and I was thinking, oh, she's completely neglecting these other characters. This is like white privilege at its worst. Um, but then um, I kind of spoke to my editors about it and they were like, well, you know, this is a smart woman who created this show. Um, she clearly knew what she was doing and the perspective is Angela's. And so her, they would, she would have that perspective on them. They're not sort of figures 
that I'm talking about Ricky and Ran, um, they're very alienated, like isolated from her, what her experience. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that they would be sidelined in a sense by the show because that's what she does with them. Right. So if you want to look at, look at it generously, um, it's a reflection of her perspective. Or you could look at it like Winnie Holtzman's like really sheltered. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I choose to look at it generously. I think it's also interesting that, you know, really they are the trio. Like they're the, you know, Buffy, Xander, Willow of this group, right? Like we should sort of get not equal parts reflection of the three of them, but we should get a lot. And we get a lot. Like we do, they also have wonderful arcs through the, through the series as a whole. But, you know, as one of our, our listeners pointed out, you know, it's the show sets Rand's mother up to fail uh, in the episodes where uh, Amber and Patty go against each other. Like, you know, white middle-class values, very clearly normal, and whatever Amber's going through is weird and kooky and not acceptable parenting. And, and you know, and I certainly responded to that as a teenager. I was like, oh, Amber, she's so scuzzy. You know, like, it, it's 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 how it's made as much as sort of what's in it. And I, I think that was sort of more evident to me this time. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I definitely noticed that more this time while rewatching it that like my, um, I always had a lot of sympathy for both Ricky and Rayanne while watching the show. Like I felt like they had real struggles and I, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't very critical of those characters, but definitely watching it this time, I felt like Amber does get a raw deal and Rayanne kind of like, Inherits the raw deal. Yeah, she inherits the raw deal, and by the end of the show, after you know the betrayal episode, she kind of is. She's not the villain of the friend group, but she's she kind of is. Like she's the one that's cast out because she's done something bad. And uh, when I watched it the first time around, I don't think I had a lot of sympathy for her behavior. I really just felt like she was a terrible friend yeah. and did something unforgivable. And this time around, I was like, no, she's actually like a lonely person who needs help and like needs friends who are loyal to her and who understand what she's going through. And she doesn't have a lot of that. And she puts on a brave face and she, um, you know, keeps people at bay in a certain way uh, because she doesn't know how to open up really effectively. But even so, like I just watching it this time, I felt like she gets a raw deal in general, maybe not like from Angela more so than from the show, if mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Well, the, um, both Angela and, I mean, Angela maybe understandably, but the show as well, very quickly forgiving Jordan, right? Yeah, like the like next Jordan. two episodes are basically about dealing with Jordan as, oh, so he slept with my best friend, whatever. But Rayanne is, well, you couldn't possibly, and there's obviously a very strong uh, gender imbalance aspect to that in terms of why this would be all Rayanne's fault and of not course. Jordan's, which is horrible uh, to think about. But it is also like, in terms of the friend paradigm or whatever, like the, the way that, like Rayanne was the one who was her best friend, so she's the one who's to blame in the sense that she's like, like they weren't, she wasn't together with Jordan, so theoretically Jordan is free to do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. But her best friend Isn't has it? to remain loyal to her and therefore when this happens, the best friend is the one who gets all the blame. It's ridiculous and sexist and uh, like wrong for a number of different reasons, but like it makes sense in the worldview of teenagers of the time, it makes sense from Angela's perspective that she would be more upset with Rayanne. Uh, but definitely watching the show this time, I felt like Rayanne gets a very raw deal from 
Angela and actually like doesn't like she deserves better friends. Yeah. I am almost at the end of my, my list of questions, but I would feel remiss if I did not at least throw out a reference to Sharon Chersky, Goddess of Light, who was my biggest uh, new favorite. What I never, it's not that I didn't like Sharon, I just didn't care. Like Sharon did not appear on my intellectual map of interesting aspects of my so-called life, basically until this time, when I sort of watched this person who is this very sheltered, speaking of gender roles, like very specifically growing up to be just like mom, girl, who over the course of this show basically kind of begins to question whether that's actually what she wants, begins to have a very interesting relationship with her own sexuality and sexual pleasure as a concept, which probably never even occurred to her a few uh, months earlier. And then you sort of have to ask the question. I mean, I know Rayanne is a transitional character for Angela in terms of her own growth, but on the long term, I think Angela might have just been better off sticking with Sharon, no? <laughs> It's interesting because Sharon is the friend that she casts off because she's trying to become this new version of herself in high school um, because Sharon represents her, the, the old her and Sharon is the daughter of her mom's best friend and she's just this like, you know, she's on the yearbook committee and, and like she's just this like lame good girl who doesn't have any of the exciting allure that Rayanne and Ricky have. They're exotic and different and new and they represent adventure and, you know, new horizons. Um, but in reality, Sharon is actually far more grounded and mature than most of the characters on the show. The choices that she makes are, for the most part, very reasonable and healthy. She doesn't, like, she actually does great. Like, she's, like, looking back on the show now, I'm like, what a good teenager. What like, a good she, kid. She does a great yeah. job of yeah. being a teen and having, like, a good time and, and like, not just doing what her parents want her to do, but not ever really getting herself into any particular kind of trouble. Like she has interesting, diverse experiences. She, it, like they're all, she's just so reasonable and mature compared yeah. to almost everyone else on the show. I really, ha like I had more, way more affection for her this time around and I felt like, oh yeah, like she's great. I, I love Sharon now. She's like a delight to watch. And in the long run, like, not only was she more mature than Angela from at the start of the show, but I feel like she remained that way all the way to the end. Like, she's, yeah. I don't know if, if Angela would have been better off sticking with Sharon because I feel like Angela needed to go on the journey that she went on with her new friends. But I feel like Sharon is two thumbs up for yeah. Sharon. She's great. Yeah, she's also, I mean, for all the thinking that Angela seems to do on the show, um... <laughs> She doesn't, she doesn't really think beyond a very sort of short <laughs> yeah. view. Um, whereas when I was watching Sharon, um, like you, I sort of, I was like, oh, you know, she's questioning her relationship with that dude who I have no idea why she's dating him. It's like they um, were like, let's find someone who's actually stupider and prettier than Jordan Catalano. Yeah. Oh, here's Kyle. Oh my God, <laughs> Kyle is guy. the dumbest. But Kyle oh. ha had like a good heart like he was just too stupid but yeah. he had but he would like but again was here's trying. jordan and they're like we got to go under <laughs> you smell good you're always in a good mood yeah and and her so when she's thinking about her relationship with them she's thinking about you know how am i treating this person do i want to be treating him this way and she also you know uh before angela 
considers possibly sleeping with Jordan, um, she she sees Sharon about it and asks her questions about about how she decided. And, and Sharon actually had this very um, you know this long talk with herself about what she wanted to do in terms of um, sleeping with her boyfriend. And I think it was you know it was it was pretty exceptional for a teenager to to sort of think that deeply about yeah. Yeah, and like to make it like a real thoughtful decision. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. I mean, she never really arrives at a resolution, but in the in the episode resolutions, weird coincidence, she does have sort of the question of herself: like, is it actually okay for me to just continue sleeping with this guy because I'm enjoying it? You know, like, is can I let myself off the emotional hook of like, oh my god, what does this mean? Because I actually like doing this, and that I think for a teenage girl on any show, let alone one in 1994, was fairly forward mm -hmm. as an idea. For sure, yeah. That she could just own her pleasure like that and be okay. I also like, and not get I mean, a I don't know. disease or something. Like, obviously everything is intentional, but like, I didn't, at the time, notice this, but rewatching it, I definitely noticed that there are several, like two at least, very dumb, pretty boy characters, and mm -hmm. there are no dumb, pretty girl characters on the show. And I, I know that this is intentional in a general sense, but I don't know how much of it was like a point that, that Winnie Holtzman or anyone else was trying to make. But it's definitely like, there's no one on the show, there are no women on the show who you look at and you think, wow, what an idiot. Well, like, there is the one. You know what I mean? I know we don't like know each other or anything, but could I ask you a question? Do you work at Big Guy Burger? <laughs> All right, fair. There's her. I don't even remember her name. What's her name? Does she I have a name? I have no idea. Is she that a person? Name, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, unless there was anything you guys wanted to tie off, I think we're ready to go to the, uh, go to the diaries. <clears throat> I think you should go first. <laughs> surprise, surprise. All right, folks. Um, is my friend Sandy in the audience? Okay, thank God. So, anyone who's been watching... I really wanted to meet Sandy. Yeah, I know. Anyone who's been listening to the show knows that Sandy was, when I was in uh, grade 13, Sandy was the love of my life, unrequited, very Jordan Catalano in gender swap terms. Um, and she's come up a lot in my diary as we've gone through the show. Because basically, my crush on her started like the week the show started like my first diary was just about like boy I'm really thinking about this person and now and then it got worse and then it got worse and then it got worse so where could I go from there being that we don't actually have a date to uh, assign you know like, there wasn't a specific journal I had to read and I was like well that would be our uh, prom where she went with her new boyfriend and I went alone so here we go Five twenty-five ninety-five Thursday. I suppose this is. By the way, I'm just going to editorialize for a second. This is so Brian. I suppose it's necessary to detail the events leading up to the formal before I can actually discuss the event. Although the event is all that really is relevant. Nevertheless, here goes. I woke up early. I exercised and went for a jog. I don't know that that's true. <laughs> the morning was beautiful. I went to school and did the last class presentation of my high school career, a Mod West seminar about Nazi propaganda. I left there, went home, heard from the chief, then soaked myself in the tub for over an hour while systematically going through all of the great music in my collection, which probably took about 25 minutes. 
Mark came over to prepare, and we decked ourselves, I in the black tux with green vest and tie that has been described henceforth only in legend. I looked good. That's underlined. It seemed like a night of endless possibilities was ahead of us. I shall now describe the factual information about the formal. Upon arrival, we located people and had a meet and greet session that was quite on, made more so by the almost cinematic absence of Amanda and Sandy. I waited nervously. Amanda finally showed up and she just hugged me and said she didn't want it to be so bad between us and that we had to fix it. And it was a pure, true moment, even if next week it won't worth, matter worth a damn. Still no Sandy. We went down to the room, small, and met and Gret yet more folk. Finally, Sandy shows up with Buddy-O. That was her boyfriend, that's what we called her boyfriend. The little asshole is all over her, and although he probably had to support her given her apparent inability to walk, she waved at me and kept going. From that point on, I was a loose cannon of forced hyperactivity. The dinner event was rather uneventful with Sandy at a table that was far too close for my comfort and the occasional necessitated eye contact which I got out of as fast as I could. Incidentally, Sandy and Buddy-O were quite the all-over-each-other couple. Finally, she came over to say hi. Her breath stank of beer and she sealed her fate with a stupid question that could only be brought on by booze. Are you mad at me? After the convo with Amanda, I came back downstairs like a man possessed and danced myself into an ague. The, they played that do -si do song and I went berserk, whipping myself around, do -si doing doing the country leg-kicking dance in perfect synchronization with Mark. I don't even know what that's in reference to. The slow songs racked up. Over the night, I danced with Amelia, Evelyn, Jody, Sarah, and Liz. Yeah! Somewhere in this blitz, on my way to the bathroom, uh, Buddy-O, actually here it says nasty boy, when Buddy-O crossed out, uh, stopped me and asked if I wanted to beat him up. Then the last song showed up, as the announcer said, this is the last song, so everybody get your honeys out on the dance floor. And the last song was November Rain, and I fell into a corner and died. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That was everything they hoped for, <laughs> and I, more. I, I will admit, I told the others before the show, I cut like a page out that just made no sense at all, and I didn't want you guys to have to listen to this for like 15 minutes, but yeah, that was my prom. Don't go to your prom without a date. It's just, I mean, I know it sounds good, but it's not good. I actually was dating someone, and he didn't go to my school but I chose not to bring him to my prom and I went with my best friend. We both went dateless, like with each other. Um, but you were dating somebody, so there was no angst that was killing you. <laughs> oh no, I, so there was no angst that was killing me, but apparently there was angst that killed him because he came to the after party and he was already drunk and he had written me a really emotional letter. Oh my God! <laughs> about how I hadn't invited him to my prom, and then we broke up like very shortly after that, so. <laughs> In the end, it was appropriately terrible, but I had a really nice time at the prom. Amazing. <laughs> the, the prom was at, I can't remember what the hotel's called, but it's the one that's right next to the convention center downstairs, downtown, so I, I, sometimes I walk by there and I'm still like, that was the worst night of my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear what you've got to say. All right, so I chose a um, especially embarrassing entry that's also like three pages long. Awesome. Um, and uh, 
I chose it because it has like I, I felt like it had some moments uh, that wrap things up nicely for cool. you know, our final episode. So um, <laughs> also a really stellar intro. This is super embarrassing. Um, <clears throat> April 11th. Drug problem? Nope. School problem? Probably. Home problem? Definitely. <laughs> In school now, thinking more clearly. Have to be home by 4.15 or 4.30 today. Parents insane. Something about wearing other people's clothes and how I shouldn't. Too, <laughs> too insecure. Need to move out. <laughs> then there's like a two-line break and it says, later that day, dot, dot, dot. My mother has my attendance sheet and she just finished yelling at me about how we have nothing to say to each other. She says that I'm not allowed to fail. What does that even mean? I asked, but then she just yelled at me. She's doing this, do what I say now motif. Like, I'm suddenly going to listen to her. Actually, no, <laughs> she wants explanations. And I don't know isn't allowed. How about just get off my back? <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't go because I didn't feel like it. That's in all caps, by the way. <laughs> um, Jason thinks I'm all talk, but if push came to shove, I wouldn't actually do anything. Well, how about if I just skip town the day that I finish the school year? Then would he believe me? <laughs> um, uh, except, what would my parents do? I love them so much, and I don't know what they would do, and then I, I can't just leave like that. It would kill me on the inside. I'd probably enjoy myself like later, but, <laughs> but it would haunt me forever, and how would I ever be able to come back, and how realistic is any of this anyway? Ugh, I hate reality. I never want to do anything real. Fuck. <laughs> all, all of my marks have significantly decreased. <laughs> I really have to get them back up. I hope I can still hand in my writing folder. I'm so tired. What are my options? Who cares? One, stay in school and bomb the year and not even graduate or go to university. Two, stay in school, try to improve, try really hard next year, go to university. Three, stay in school, try to improve, take a year off, then come back. Four, drop out, maybe come back next year. Five, I don't fucking know. <laughs> then there's a drawing of a spiral and an arrow pointing to it and it says the downward spiral. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on a minute. It continues on the final, the final page of the entry. I need a way out. There must be some way out of here, said the joker to the <laughs> dot, 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 something. Futile, useless, hopeless, lifeless, heart of darkness. <laughs> Why does he think that I'm a talker? He's right, but, he bo but it bothers me that he thinks that. Why do we have so many confusing, weird feelings? Why can't I think straight? I can't do anything right now. I have to clean my room for the piano tuner. Fuck. <laughs> I'm too, you know, I don't even fucking know. I don't want to call Rupa because I'm afraid that her parents hate me and if they answer, they're gonna tell me to stay away from her. And what am I supposed to do? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, ah. <laughs> I'm looking at some of the more realistic aspects of running away or moving out or something. I wish I was still immature. Just to pause, I thought I was not immature. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> 
that brought a tear to my eye. That was so hilarious. Um, okay, this is, this is the kicker. When I have kids, which by the way, for those of you who don't know, I have a six-month-old child right now, so this is like my advice, my teenage advice to my future self. When I have kids and they give me problems like these, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep in mind that they are not trying to hurt me and they are not doing this just to ruin my life. So don't give them crap like this, okay? <laughs> That's beautiful. The end. <laughs> wow. Well, I think you won that, uh, oh boy. that diary off. I was a nightmare, and I apologize to my parents very sincerely for being so awful. Yeah. You, well, Everything was so overwrought. Thing one, your parents are great. Thing two, I love how you are arguing with them in paragraph one and then paragraph two. I love them so much. I couldn't do that to them. It was it's all there. hard and confusing. Yeah. Well, so is life. <laughs> and, and you do not have a diary, so you were not able to bring a thing unless you're going to surprise us? Uh, no. No. Okay. <laughs> I had a look on her face. Couldn't tell what it was. Do you have like an embarrassing no. story from your teenage years that you want to share? Um, yeah. No pressure if you don't want to. <laughs> no. It's funny. I actually called um, my high school best friend uh, yesterday to ask her if she remembered anything. And all she remembered was that I made her eat or try my food every time I was gonna eat it because I had like terrible OCD. So that was like a very sad wow. story. Every, every time? <laughs> Not every time. I think this was like a particularly bad point in time. Mm. Um, but I do remember, so I definitely had a Jordan Catalano in school. And- um, What was his name? I can't tell you. Yes, you can. <laughs> First name? Okay. Initials, anything? Um, his name was Tad. No. And really? Tad? That's a great Tad. Jordan Catalano name. It's <laughs> a really good Tad. That's amazing. Yeah, that was his name. Huh. And um, it turns out, I actually, before I wrote the book, I messaged him and I said, you know, I know you know that I like had a huge crush on you and everything, but did I ever say anything or did, like, was it obvious in any way? He's like, oh, you gave me a note. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> I did not remember giving him a note. And I, he, obviously, wow. he doesn't have He's married now. He's, like, happily married. And he He's the Tony Poole. He's been uh, running yeah, a restaurant in Decatur. Yeah, although he's not fat. Well, we like, never like, actually saw Tony. I mean, yeah. he, he could be fine. Yeah, so this guy's still um, really good looking, and, he, and he's married and everything. But, yeah, I have no idea what that note said. Mm. But I can't believe I, like, it was that bad that I forgot that I gave him one. <laughs> like you just blocked it out. Yeah, I, yeah, really I can it believe out. it, for sure. Cool. All right, well, we'll let's wrap the podcast up there. Um, and we do have some prizes to give out, but we'll maybe do that after the end of the recording. Um, this is actually our very last episode of My SoCast Life. So I, I would like to start by saying, Cat uh, G, you're nuts for getting into this with me, but I really appreciate it. Uh, so th the show started, for anyone who doesn't know, I was walking down the street and I thought, I'd like to do a podcast about my so-called life. What would that be called? Uh, well, I guess it'd be called my so-cast life because that's funny. So I just put a tweet and was like, Does anyone want to do this? And she wrote back like 10 minutes later. I was like, yes. And, and, here, here, and then, here we are. So I really appreciate that. That is amazing. It was so fun. Yeah. Uh, if you guys want to vote on what our next podcast should be. Uh, yeah, know, get in touch. Matt like, we're, we're, and I right just now. an excuse now to record stuff together. Yeah, we're just taking. <laughs> just like, tweet us. 
My so-called life was kind of perfect because it's just the right number of episodes to do a show. Like, yeah, nobody wants to do 150. Episodes yeah, of like a podcast I've, I've always wanted to do one about one of the Star Treks, but I'm like, I'm not doing 150 episodes of anything except my other podcast, which is long. Um, but anyway, and then so the other weird thing that happens is we start doing this show, and then I hear that there is this book coming out, and and it it almost feels like you're kind of a celebrity to me, Soraya, because like. I pre-ordered your book before I knew you, before I even knew you were in Toronto. Like, I just was like, yeah, book, awesome. And then the book showed up, and then it was like, then, you know, I was like, I read the book, and we were tweeting, and then this show happened, and now you're here, and it's like, how did this all manifest out of nothing? Like, this was nothing a year ago, and now there's this. It's so cool. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And, and I, I really am not, I do mean this very intently, it's a great book. So anyone who has not read it, bought a copy, please go out in the lobby and get a copy because it is, it is really awesome. I am, an, uh, I am trying to write a pop cultural book myself. So I'm basically, she's my hero right now. So yeah, go read that book, it's so good. Um, you can, well, you can follow us on Twitter at My Life. There's no reason to, because I'm going to stop tweeting in like three days. But this... <laughs> the show is over. Yeah, it's so. over, guys. Sorry. Um, we will post this episode on this Thursday at ModernSuperior.com. And I guess our last thanks should be to, to them for hosting us all year, providing us the support, which for poor engineer Cody Dan Gorman meant uh, handing me a bag of microphones once a week for 19 consecutive weeks and, and me having to get those back to him and, and you know, all of that was great as well. And we should mention, uh, this is uh, for anyone here who is really loving the live podcast thing, they are doing a live podcast for their show. See you next Wednesday, tomorrow night at the where? Dundas Video, Video, which is not a video store. No, not a video store. So come on out to that. It's at 7.30. And other plugs. Oh, yes. And the other plug. uh, At Kenzie. And do you want to tell us what it is? Oh, my God, I thought you were plugging it, so I don't remember the details. <laughs> but it's it's next weekend. You can find it online. I'm doing, um, it's for Broken Pencil um, at Canzine on, it's on the 29th. And, yeah, it's like a seven-minute, I'm doing a talk about um, the book. So if you want to come, and it's free, I think. I'm pretty sure it's free. No. <laughs> okay, well, it is now. <laughs> So yeah, please show up. All right, thank you everybody for coming. This was amazing. Go to modernsuperior.com for all your podcasting needs. You guys see you next Wednesday. You got, well, you don't have time bandits anymore, but there are a lot of legacy episodes of that there. Uh, Flight School, Let's Scare Matthew Price to Death. All of the best podcasts in the world on the Modern Superior Network. Bye. Bye.
This episode has been brought to you by the Modern Superior Podcast Network. 